in loving memory of Jim Henson and Richard Hunt. Oh, the music's so melancholy there at the start. I love it. I always watch this like, as soon as we've got the decorations up. Oh. And there's something, because you can't watch it beforehand, and there's something about those opening notes when you've settled down you've been not that it's work but you know what I mean you've been <laughs> running around like mad and then you sit down with it with a Christmas beer or whatever and you hear that music and you know it's it's Christmas, it's Christmas I feel like that about the um opening piano notes of Fairy Tale of New York oh well that too yeah it, but as you it's kind of been spoiled by television now because somebody will always crib those opening notes for something but there's a certain moment usually when I'm walking home at Christmas oh. and either by accident or by design, fairy tales New, New York will come on and the Christmas lights will be up to everyone's houses. And that's the, the light bulb moment of, oh, it's Christmas or the fairy light bulb moment, I should say. Like Fozzywig in this, does Christmas you for certain? <laughs> that was my Frank Oz impression. I love these these buildings. They're so gorgeous. They look like gingerbread houses. They do, don't they? They're just sort of the obviously a model but a really beautiful one mm. i wonder what's happened to these models <laughs> oh my god i've never ever wanted to go to disneyland or anywhere like that but if you told me that this set as mm. not that it's a set if this bigature existed i'd, I'd be there in a, in a shot mm. i love this magical um going to um the wb HP studio tour in Watford, <laughs> which is the only identifying detail I feel I can give. For, for yes. those of you who haven't guessed, it's basically um, a studio tour around a famous seven, seven book and eight film franchise. Did you have a magical time? I did. And um, it was magical seeing the, the bigature of HW Castle and how beautiful <laughs> it was. Although it's only kind of like six by six metres. It's really quite amazing, the details, so I'd love to see something similar for this. I, I love how they have real horses, but uh, Muppet pigs. <laughs> yes. And also, it's not quite there yet, but we're going to see the speaking vegetables soon, mm. which which seems weirdly appropriate after we were talking about um, the way Dickens describes food, and in particular apples, and <laughs> how they're just begging to be eaten. <laughs> Do you think you that know, was on their minds when they were yeah. <laughs> The naysayer might say that uh, a carrot or a cabbage shouting, help me, I'm being stolen, isn't in the spirit of the original <laughs> Dickens novel. But I tell you, it is. And. Um, oh, the, the dog policeman. <laughs> Are I they love... real apples, do you think? They look at. I always imagine them to be wax because of the scene later on where Rizzo is eating wax apples <laughs> I, I, was, I, can, I, I confused the two scenes in my head <laughs> on the bizarre chance that you've just stumbled upon this audio commentary that's very 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 unlikely but this is a an, a rare and unusual episode of a book at breakfast which is our book and breakfast podcast but in this episode there is neither a book nor breakfast well, well i'll say that that's not strictly you're, true. You're eating brand flakes. Oh, well, I, didn't, eating, I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually eating crunchy brown. Oh. Uh, I've got a cup of tea, bread and butter, uh, banana, 
I've got a variety of, I think it's 7.23. Yeah, it's sort of the evening breakfast snaps. I like the sound of evening breakfast, which mm-hmm. actually reminds me of one of my favourite lines in, in this film, actually, with, which is where, what time is it? Uh, is it too early for breakfast? Yes. Good. Supper time. <laughs> Again, very much in the spirit of the original novel. Well, as you say, it's 7.30ish. I've, I've got a pint. Um, a pint of tea or coffee I couldn't possibly say have you been to that place in the Lake District where you can get a pint of tea in a big ceramic that was great great. but um, yeah I'm sure you know which is why you're listening if you're listening that normally we talk about a book and then very quickly at the end we talk about what we thought of any film or radio adaptations of the book but every so often there's a there's a film adaptation of a classic novel that's just too that can't be summed up in 10 minutes and this is this is the definitive adaptation of charles dickens immortal classic what about the ross kemp version oh i was only saying the other day how excellent it was All right, well, maybe second to the Ross Kemp version. This is the definitive adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And I was about to say, which is largely down to Michael Caine, just acting like he's not surrounded by puppets. Um, But, like, the songs, too, and the score makes such a huge Mm. part of it. I love this song. I love them all. And I I love... Pigeons. (laughs) That looks like my friend's cat. (laughs) Um... And I love how occasionally he sneaks subtle references to the actual text into some of the song lyrics. Yeah. Jesus throws Mises. Yeah. You know the the bit where, I should talk about that later on, but where the spirit of uh, Christmas present appears in the little mouse's house. Mm. I actually, it was only this year it twigged that in the book it does describe him as growing and shrinking to fit his environment. Mm. Now, Basti doesn't explicitly say that he went into a mouse hole. <laughs> I thought, actually, that's a really cool little nod that he, he can go everywhere because, of course, the spirit of Christmas is everywhere. That's lovely. And um, when you were talking about references to the book, Jesus throws Mises, wasn't <laughs> a, a deliberate reference to that. It's just every time I see that bit of it, I was thinking of a friend who I used to work with. Oh, there it is! Ah. Hey! <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of a friend I used to work with who I used to absolutely love that line, and she'd always sing it at Christmas, so... <laughs> uh, thinking very warmly of her, and that's the first thing I always think of when I think of that film. You film. know what, there's, there's a uh, a boy we went to school with. I say boy, he's a man now. Um, is I he really? I won't name him, just in case, but uh, mm. when I mentioned in the... In, on the podcast in when we were discussing the book that um we watched this in english or at least mm. the first half of it and i have a really fond and distinct memory of me and this boy from school singing it feels like christmas on the bus home <laughs> uh and I, I i always think of him whenever i watch this and i i don't really know him anymore but we became facebook friends earlier this year and um, on the 1st of December, I noticed he changed his profile picture to the ghost of Christmas present from this film. Oh, and I, thought, oh I wonder if he remembers us singing on the bus <laughs> as well. I wonder if it's the same boy in our school, because I was thinking about uh, our English class and watching this. So I was trying to recall the memory because 
those of you who have uh, listened to the uh, discussion of the book, The Christmas Carol, may recall that I don't remember watching it in our English <laughs> class. Um, but I do seem to recall a boy enthusing about it in our English class. And he was a boy with an older brother, so he was always into the cooler stuff. Um, I wonder if it's the same. No, I, it's not. No, it's not him. Um, ah, right. I just always but, felt like um, it, the way of things with kids with uh, older siblings who had kind of shown them the, yeah. you know, they sort of helped usher them out of the slightly dorky taste you have when you're younger <laughs> to the slightly kind of more worldly tastes. And somehow more worldly tastes like a Muppet Christmas Carol and, and later chicken run and things like that. <laughs> yes. But somehow well, they, I mean, this is worldly. I, I mean, oh, yeah, I know yeah, it's stuffed animals uh, talking and singing. But it, there's nothing childish about it. And I think Michael Caine has a lot to do with that. But the writing and the, the sort of strange solemnity that it's dealt with, even despite the fact that it's kind of a comedy as well. Well, I wouldn't say there's nothing childish about it um, because it is a kid's film. Well, it's a family film. It's a family film, I'd say. But I think, like we talked about when we were discussing the book, that idea that you know past present and future and it's about to some degree scrooge connecting with his inner child that he'd kind of lost mm. and i think any adaptation has to have an inherent childishness so and because of the joy at the end as well but i think with real you know that the children's classics that endure are, are the ones that sort of don't talk down, down to children you, you know what i mean that that are made with that kind of solemnity that you talked mm. about <laughs> Um, so, do you remember it, way back when in the very in the very first introductory episode of A Book at Breakfast? Um, <laughs> oh, it seems like only weeks ago that we were recording. <laughs> um, I was saying that it, in the 90s there were lots of sort of books called things like My Big Mad Underpants. Yeah, it's that. It's like companies make sort of things that are garish and over the top and loud and think this will appeal to children, and it does in a sort of jangling keys in front of them way, but they don't endure. They're not beloved in the same way that the line the witch in the wardrobe is mm. ah, talking of the early days of book at breakfast the guy who plays scrooge's nephew is also is is nigel from the uh, adrian mole oh, tv series how interesting huh. all connected mm. so even though you don't remember us watching this at school what's your first memory of, of seeing this film um probably the year it came out on VHS at least. I don't think I went to see it at the cinema, but I know that my mum did rent it from the rich video shop in the village I grew up in, which was a source of wonder. It was like the Mr. Ben shop. Um, and it seemed to have, well, worlds within each of those video cases. And I think it's important that they were videos as well. There's something mm -hmm. very tangible about a VHS that was never quite replicated on DVD or Blu-ray or streaming, but a VHS seemed like a gateway to another world. Um, so I was about eight. I think my mum got it out from there around Christmas. And myself, my mum and my sister watched it together whilst eating pizza. And one of the best things about it was that my mum clearly loved it. Because, oh. you know, there's, there's films when you're a kid that you, you maybe know deep down that you're adults. Sorry, your parents are kind of suffering through a little bit and that they're trying to stay awake through them. But I could instantly see that my mum genuinely got a kick out of this. And I suppose to her, there was the nostalgia of the original Muppets from the 70s yeah. and her love of the book. Um, 
and it's a real intergenerational experience and mm. it's very difficult I think to write an intergenerational experience that genuinely appeals to children and adults I think that's a real skill so I, a lot of my warmth towards this comes from my mum yeah and I feel like I discovered it on another level later in life but we may we'll come to that in a bit what's your earliest memory of it well before I talk about that what you were saying then just reminded me actually of um I remember reading an interview with Neil Gaiman and he was talking about his the children's books he's written mm. which obviously I've, I've not read because I don't have children um but he was saying that as a parent himself he said if your child loves a book you're going to have to read it to them every night <laughs> uh and then you get sick to death of it so he said I think he was talking about Tuesday his is a book he's got about a panda called Chew uh <laughs> and um and he said I wanted to write on two levels one that children would love it but also that adults wouldn't get sick of having to read it every night and and I think that that's kind of hit the nail on the head about what we were saying earlier about how the, you know it's so expertly done that it's for children but everyone can appreciate it and it's not talking down to anyone and it works on so many levels but um yeah, I, I did see it at the cinema. I remember going to see oh. it at the UCI in Preston when it came oh. out, which was 1993. I think we were saying the other day, 93, what a year for going to the cinema. And that, I think, in that summer, it was Hocus Pocus, oh. Halloween, Nightmare Before Christmas, and then at Christmas, Muppet Christmas Carol, all in the same year. And oh I was word. seven years old. And I think in, in their own way, each of those three films went a great deal towards shaping me. I was going to say, if I had to pick out three films <laughs> that were responsible for shaping your DNA, <laughs> your um, your nurture, it would probably be those three films. So wow. yeah. I, I kind of struggle to think what you might have been like before 1993. <laughs> we used to well, tell to the man. <laughs> not quite, because slightly before 1993, I discovered uh, a, a lesser known television programme called Doctor Who which had already gone quite a way to shaping me that and ghostbusters mm. um i love this little guy <laughs> this is, i struggle to whenever i get to the the bit in the book i think he's actually singing god rest you merry gentlemen rather than a good king wenseless but uh i always imagine him as this little rabbit <laughs> um but like you i i remember it, i went to see it with my mum and i enjoyed it um and i remember I just noticed it before that this is my island in the sun bit. I remember everyone in, in the playground sort of the week after it had come out laughing about that scene and singing the song, which oh. I would say is, is arguably the only bit of the film now that doesn't totally work. It's <laughs> <laughs> an, an example of one of those. Let's put a silly thing in for kids. Mm. And I, you know, is it even, I don't know, is it even slightly uh, racist? Mm. <laughs> Uh, with the sort of the accents and that's it's very very 90s kids film that one moment and it's quite funny that I, that's the only bit of the film that I would I would get rid of now because the rest of it is just absolute gold whereas if you'd have asked me at the age of seven that would have been the scene yes. I <laughs> but I don't think it really chimed with me until we watched it at school when I was 11 and then we maybe I'd seen it since because again my mum must have loved it because she bought the video and that's one of the few I have. I still own three VHS tapes, despite my wife's protestations. There were the three I couldn't <laughs> part with. There's Phantasm, uh, Doctor Who, The Demons and Muppet Christmas Carol. Because it has such a gorgeous cover. Um, better than any other edition, I think. It's 
lovely sort of blue cover with a sort of starry sky mm. and Michael Caine walking through the snow with, with the, the Muppets sort of around him. It's gorgeous. It's a thing of wonder. And it was always really exciting to get that video out every December because that was it. I, so I, I watched it at home that year and I think I probably watched it every day <laughs> Christmas on my little old so, silver top-loading VHS player I had in my room. So you became like one of those children that once they've had a book read to them, they want to have the same book read to them every day, except it was a film and it was The Muppet's Christmas Carol for you. Yes, <laughs> it was um, It was Christmas Carol, but it was it was the great Gonzo reading it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it effectively is. Um, in some respects, I would say this is a very faithful interpretation of the novel. Um, yeah. Even though I imagine most people would say it is the least faithful interpretation of the novel. Say that, I've never met anyone who says that. Mm. I, th- I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't think this is the, the best one. Mm. Yeah, they might pretend otherwise. It's certainly the best. I think, but yeah, it's an interesting... Ross Kemp. <laughs> um, we're probably going to talk about this a lot throughout A Book at Breakfast when we talk about adaptations. And I think you can take so many liberties and sometimes it's adding a new character or removing a character. I'm thinking of, thinking of Tom Bombadil and oh. Tauriel, funny enough. Um, Tom who? Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you can add a subplot or get rid of something. But I think the only thing that matters is if you capture the spirit of it. I think that's what, because people don't really want, you mentioned a seven book slash eight film franchise earlier. And I think with those films, who was it? I think it was Mark Commode. No, sorry, it wasn't. It was Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, described those films as, um, it's like somebody pointed a camera at the books, <laughs> which is arguably, you know, it's not a bad thing, totally faithful. He said, but the the directors of those films didn't have a, their own story to tell. Mm. You know, it was literally just let's make this very faithfully. And there's something admirable about that because some some adaptations absolutely murder things. <laughs> but I think but I think, you know, Peter Jackson kind of he knew what his Lord of the Rings was going to be. And it's not the same as the books, but it's brilliant because it's it it captures the same essence, that same. And I would say with this, it absolutely captures the spirit of the book in a way that some adaptations don't. Um, there was one couple 2019 i think it was as a bbc one and andy circus was in it and stephen oh. graham did you see it no that sounds like it was, was brilliant it was awful one of the worst things oh. i've ever seen and it wasn't there was nothing wrong with it in of itself it was oh. well acted and you know the costumes were good um but they made scrooge evil he was irredeemable oh. and at the end nobody forgave him Oh, right. And I didn't know what story they were trying to tell because it wasn't a Christmas Carol. Because I, I, if you've listened to the, the the podcast episode, which you should have done before listening to this, you know that my feeling is that that's fundamentally what a Christmas Carol is about. It's a story about redemption and forgiveness and hope. Um, and I think that the Muppet Christmas Carol gets that absolutely. It gives us that perfect ending. But at the same time, it is a you know they're trying to tell their own story because again as we discussed this is the first film that um they made after jim henson had died and it was it was a legacy thing it was an homage 
And again, we talked about how wonderful the music is, partially because Paul Williams, it was Paul Williams, wasn't it, who wrote the songs, the lyrics and the songs, was a recovering addict. And he, again, tapped into that theme of um, redemption and forgiveness and that idea of waking up and realising that you can change your life and turn it around and be a better person. I think everybody, they knew what they wanted to do and they all brought their own personal interpretation to it. And I think that's why it's so, so powerful. But again, it's a When you get people who all have different stories and are all coming at something for their own reasons, when that kind of magic happens, when everyone is united in the vision, even though they're coming at it for disparate reasons. Um, and this film is a real example of that. There's a good bit, well, a good example coming up here in terms of how an adaptation can work rather than just being literally show, showing what's on the page. There's a scene where Scrooge walks in in a minute and he sees the dressing gown hung up and he sort of he streaks because he thinks it's a person and he starts hitting it with his, is it a cane? Um, a Michael Caine. A Michael Caine. It's always my best dressing gown. Um, and of course, that doesn't literally happen in the book. But there is a mention in the book that, you know, because he's paranoid, he's seen this this ghastly phantasm at the door that uh, he walks in and it describes that his, I can't remember the exact wording, I don't have the book to hand, but he says that the uh, the dressing gown is hanging up in a sinister fashion. <laughs> and you can tell that it's saying, yeah, Scrooge, we've all been there. We've seen a coat hanging on the back of the door in the middle of the night and thought it's a person. And it's a very, very silly little example. But I thought that's that's the difference between a visual medium and a, and a written medium. <laughs> it's interesting. We both write um, books and short stories. Um, it's interesting. I think when you first start writing, it's hard not to imagine that you're writing a film. Um, mm. And there are some things you really kind of can't pull off in a book that could be a very visual gag that you would do in a film um, or a particular jump between sections or films are obviously very reliant on the music to do that. Obviously, none of those things are present in the book of the Christmas Carol. And yet the way it's written with these little uh, nuggets that are left there, it feels like all the source material to draw things like Scrooge attacking a dressing gown are there. Yes, right down exactly. to these songs are somehow in the original book of the Christmas Carol, even though they're not. <laughs> but you might say they're contained within it because they inspired the songs. Mm. I think their I DNA is in there. In much the same way that I always say that the original Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories are excellent source material, which is not to do down the stories themselves. Mm. And who knows, at some point we may discuss them. Um, but Oh, here we go. Sinister dressing gown. <laughs> it's really well shot as well. It looks like an arm, the way it pans to it. <laughs> um. Oh, my best dressing gown. <laughs> <laughs> what were you just saying? Sorry, I got distracted by violence. Yeah, I'm eating a banana at the same time. Um, Is that I was thinking about the um, original... Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes stories. Oh, yes, I recently saw, yeah, I recently watched, uh, it was Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat at the Oxford Union, and and they just basically said whenever we were stuck, 
we just went back to the source material. They said it's all there. And I think to the casual observer, you might think that the, the books are kind of old fashioned and not that relevant. And the show is very slick and modern and and they almost, they might almost seem disparate. But, uh, you know, it's obvious that they've extrapolated the essence of mm. the stories and the character and just set it modern day. So, I, and I, yeah, I think any good adaptation of A Christmas Carol will do the same. It's all there. It's all in the book. Although there's only one Marley in the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Yes. Jacob and I mean, Robert Marley. We talk about that on the podcast. Um, well, I said that I was 29 before I realised that Robert Marley was Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> I I absolutely love this song that's coming up. I yes. just love it so. The lyrics are gorgeous. As freedom comes from giving love, so prison comes with hate. Oh. You know, that's in a kid's film. That's a kid's song. That's a Disney song. <laughs> it's funny how they smuggle these messages stealthily into kids' films. And I think songs yeah. are often the best way to do that. Yeah. In fact, I suppose really... songs are a good way to convey messages generally. Because if you give something a good hook and get everyone singing a catchy tune, they could be singing words without sort of understanding the meaning of them. Until they might think, oh, what am I singing? Maybe they've got a point there. Burrows in there. Mm. Yeah, like, like you know, traditional folk music. Mm. We're always, not always, but it's a folk song, sorry. We're often like cautionary tales or, you know what I mean? Ed, not educational, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, cautionary, I suppose. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think there is a word. Um. I guess like fables, but I'm sure there's a word for them. Um, parables, is that Parables, it? sorry, yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. <sighs> Took advantage of the poor, just ignored the needy. Again, that idea that of all the things that Scrooge and Marley could have been, they're moneylenders. Yes. There was an article in The Guardian today, I didn't have time to read it, I've got it bookmarked on my phone, and it said um, something along the lines of, a Christmas Carol isn't cosy, it's angry, and you should read it. And, <laughs> about, yeah. and I, I skim read it, and it was you talking about some of the things we mentioned in, in the podcast about, you know, Dickens being concerned with social justice and, um, or injustice, rather. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the article. Um, I want to read it myself. But I love that, that idea that it's, it's a political story and it's angry. Is it a recent article? It came up in my feed today. Oh, okay. So I don't know how old the article is, but wailing spookily. Sorry, I should say I've got the <laughs> subtitles on. <laughs> when the chains clank, I was informed that Marley and Marley were wailing spookily. <laughs> That's ace. Oh, the chains wrapping around Michael Caine is. <laughs> yeah. It just every frame of Michael Caine's face. He's just spectacular. I've well, I've never seen Michael Caine give a bad performance. Obviously, this is his best. Yeah, yes, absolutely. He's great in everything. He's great in Austin Powers. <laughs> He's great in Harry Brown. He's just brilliant. I love this animation. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Because I don't know how they've done it exactly. Because it's got that opacity. Because they're they're ghosts. But they are puppets. It's not CGI. Yeah. All the chains and the the safe boxes and everything. I just think it's gorgeous. Yeah. 
and it's such a brilliant image you know the ghost having to because they often you know there's the saying you can't take it with you the idea that money can't buy you happiness and and i love that dickens kind of inverted that and says what if you had to take it with you yes you know something that has no value in the you know only in the material world can it have any real meaning or value and you just have wealth to drag around with you forever i thought that was that's brilliant just pieces of useless metal and heavy boxes and coins it reminds me we we mentioned that we have written things of our own i recently wrote a book called defiled witch and there's a song i included in it not mine i i found it an old traditional uh morning song called a like wake dirge ah yes uh, and the idea of the song is that well I think it's a, traditionally a Yorkshire song, actually, and the idea that when a, a soul leaves the body, it passes over what they're called the, the Winnie Moor, um, and in order in order to cross it, all that they have with them uh, are shoes that they gave to the poor in life, and it's that same parable, isn't it? You know that what do you take with you? And you like we talked about, you know, sort of a secular reading of Christmas Carol in the episode. And that idea of like, is it a spiritual thing or is it just his conscious? And when they say what you take with you, what does that mean? Does it literally mean you will get into heaven if you've if you've been charitable and not greedy? Or does it are they talking about your legacy? You know, that you'll be remembered fondly for the acts of charity mm-hmm. you did in life. The, the things that will live on in a meaningful way if you've if you put beauty and hope into the world. Like Dickens did. Or are you just going to be uh, have people fighting over your dead body for the drapes around your bed, like Scrooge? Oh. oh. (laughs) Despite everything I've always said about a Christmas Carol and the Muppet Christmas Carol, one thing that bothers me. I wonder what you think. What happens to Marley? Do you think he's redeemed? Do you think he's Mm. released from his torment in in helping Scrooge? Or is that is he doomed forever? Well, in the novel, isn't the idea that the spirits only have a, a short time to kind of affect good and then they fade away? No, that's the spirits of Christmas. Oh, Mar- Marley's all Marley's always there. Oh, um, there's, right, there's a bit. Okay. Oh, I wish I had the book to hand, but it's really chilling. Actually, he says to Scrooge, "I've I've stood and watched over you many a night," oh. and and Marley doesn't know. He says, "I don't know why tonight of all nights you can see me." Oh. But I've, you know, basically, I think Marley's been with him since he died. Oh my God, what an idea! But then maybe Scrooge was Marley's unfinished business. Oh, here we go. The um, the, the ghost of Christmas past, the indes well, indescribable, unimaginable ghost of Christmas past <laughs> with many legs and many heads. <laughs> She is kind of terrifying. It's been really weird. Yeah. About, yeah. I suppose um, she she looks like something out of the Dark Crystal. Um, yeah, I was thinking Ghostbusters. That was a, a deliberate choice with this being a tribute to Jim Henson. Well, maybe. Because um, this is, I, I guess, early CGI. Yeah. And I suppose you could say it looks bad because if it's supposed to look like a girl, it doesn't. But I don't think it's supposed to. It, it just looks no. really odd. 
and there's something unsettling about it. She looks more like a selkie or some sort of like a water spit. Yeah. Oh, that that hand gives me the creeps. I know it yeah. just looks like a little doll or something, but maybe yeah. that's why it gives me the creeps. <laughs> Beds with drapes always give me the creeps after this film. I think it's because of this film, but if I was <laughs> staying in a hotel and it had drapes to go all around the bed, I would be scared about what was going to happen on the other side of them. Whenever, whenever I see drapes on a bed because of this film, I just think... Is it too early for breakfast? <laughs> ah, good. Supper time. And there's something especially about that. When I was little, I was talking to my mum about this the other day. When I was little, I was always too excited to sleep on Christmas Eve. <laughs> just lie there awake all night reading um, The Night Before Christmas by candlelight. And um, and it's, it became such a thing that you don't sleep on Christmas Eve that now... I try and stay awake on Christmas Eve for as long <laughs> as I can, just because it's tradition. Um, I'm always exhausted and I usually fall asleep about one or two in the morning, but I always try and just stay up all night. I always have a specific book as well. And I'm going to read this all night. I never manage it, but the, and I, but I always think of that. If, if I manage to stay up quite late on Christmas Eve, I think supper time. <laughs> <laughs> I was at my partner's on Christmas Eve this year and um, she said she didn't want to sit in the living room um, when it turned to midnight. She didn't want oh, to no. be sat, sat by the Christmas tree because it spoiled the magic. You've got to go to bed before midnight. Yeah, of course um, you have, yeah. And then wake up and, uh, the and feel the Santa's been. And I thought that was rather lovely. Yeah, no, I, I'm in complete agreement. I usually try to get in bed by about 10 at the <laughs> latest. But then, and then it's a game of seeing how long I can stay awake. Yeah. <laughs> I love this bit. I don't remember these lines being in the book. Each one connected with a thousand hopes, joys, and care. It might be, but um, there, there, there is some gorgeous dialogue in this film that isn't in the book. Like later on, when they watch Scrooge get older, and Gonzo or Mr. Dickens uh, talks about, you know, uh, Scrooge watched his schoolroom age and decay, and and it's I don't know it's 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 really quite moving I think and and sad because you see him getting older and becoming the Scrooge that we know who's alone and it's really well done. Again, that idea of it's not a literal interpretation of exactly what's written down, but it captures the spirit of it. It's an emotional. <laughs> this is great <laughs> with the busts, Gonzo's <laughs> oh, yeah. face and Rizzo. Is it is Shakespeare? Oh, brilliant. It's Shakespeare and then Dickens. <laughs> Dante is on there. But you were right in what you said about the Hamlet reference. He, what Dickens thought when he put that Hamlet reference in is I'm setting myself up with Shakespeare so that when the Jim Henson company make them up at Christmas Carol, <laughs> they will put my face next to him with with a little rat. I do like the fact that they've kept the uh, Shakespeare, well, they've kept a Shakespeare reference in this. Yes. It's such an incidental detail of the book that you might just think it's a throwaway reference and mm. um, not feel the need to honour it. And whether it was a conscious decision or not, I don't know, the filmmakers, but I like that there's a Shakespeare reference in this as well. It, it's in the pantheon of the greats, <laughs> to say, to put it in rather lofty terms. Are you talking about this film or A Christmas Carol? A Christmas Carol and... Yes, it and is. everything but, that sprung from it, that the story is in the pantheon of the greats, and and so that includes this film, and maybe it includes the Ross Kemp version. 
No, it doesn't. But I, <laughs> I think this film is in the pantheon of the greats because it's it's nearly thirty years old, mm. and people still love it, and people are yeah. still writing articles about it. And honestly, just you know, just because it's a children's film, that doesn't make it lesser. I think this will forever be beloved and continue to grow in its in its popularity and its reputation in in the same way that the Narnia books do and and the Hobbit and and yeah Enid Blyton you know what I mean I think or Winnie the Pooh like some things are so pure and perfect Mm. and timeless it doesn't matter if the protagonist is a bear or sometimes because the protagonist is a bear, yes, it taps into some some theme of innocence, but also for adult viewers, a, a sort of melancholia of of innocence lost. It's very appropriate. A Scrooge is now. Yes. I wonder if there. Um, I imagine there are, but uh, there must be children that still watch this. Oh yeah. I'd be interested to talk to some parents of small children and uh, and ask if they've shown it to their kids and what they think of it. Well, it's on it's... probably more than ever now because it's on a streaming site. Ah, that's a point. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it'll pop up every Christmas and they won't need to. Go. It's something I found, which is quite strange. Uh with a lot of shows, things like Stranger Things, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of retro nostalgia around. I guess there always is because people will always be nostalgic. But I think culturally now more than ever, because you, it's easier to to recreate things, but also things don't really get lost. Like I remember when I was about 12, 13, of um discovering the Beatles and going through my dad's old record collection and it you know it felt really quite special like I was yeah. discovering something or you know rediscovering something whereas I think kids now they won't have those parameters of eras won't be as rigidly no. enforced because if you want to listen to Guns and Roses they're on YouTube or Spotify or you know what I mean like everything's just there all at once which is has its negatives, but also I think it's like I was reading an interview with like a teen actor. It's probably one of the Stranger Things kids. I can't remember. They're all in so many films at the moment, and <laughs> they're asking them what their. Oh, it might have been Millie Bobby Brown. She called. And she, yeah, I think I was reading an interview about um, Enola Holmes, which again, it was a great kids film. Have you seen it? No, but people told me it was brilliant. <laughs> yes, you'd love it. You'd absolutely love it. Um, but, is, that yeah. on, is that on a certain streaming service? It is, yes. Right, OK. Excellent. Um, but whoever it was, this sort of young teen actor at the moment, they were asking what their favourite band was. And it, it was someone like the Rolling Stones and their, their uh, favourite was an 80s film. And I thought, are they saying this because they're perpetually cast as teenagers in 80s, uh, 70s, 80s dramas? Or is it because culture is just different now? Everything's yeah. there all at once. And so that was it. Oh, it is Christmas Eve for certain. I love I'm that moment. I'm quite surprised when I speak to younger people at work, um, how many people in their early 20s are, you ask them what music they listen to and they're not interested in stuff that's in the charts. They no. like Motown and disco and uh, and people like well, I guess Led Zeppelin and, and and rock music has always kind of had a currency, but a lot of the um, 
the pop stuff didn't in the same way. Yeah. And I find it wonderful that kids have access to all those eras now. And if you look at the charts at Christmas, they're pretty much entirely made up of old records, which would Good. never have happened when we were teenagers. <laughs> no. We were listening to the chart. You might have got the odd one that would have shoot up there again, but I'm talking of music, I'm gonna to have to start talking about something now so that I'm actually there when we get up to it. There's a song coming up. Uh, or rather there isn't. On the VHS version, there's a song called When Love Is Gone, and it's oh. when Belle breaks up with Scrooge. And as a teenager, as a, as, a, as a kid and a teenager, we'd always fast forward through that, like, oh, God, the boring one, the dreary love song. <laughs> and um, and when I got the DVD, I was in my 20s by the time I got the DVD. Uh, and it was and that song isn't included on it. it was, oh, thank God, the dreary <laughs> love song isn't on there. And you know what? It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and it the film suffers for not having it in. So what I do, don't do it for this watch along because you'll lose our wonderful commentary that is gripping <laughs> you so. But um, I always pause it at a certain moment and watch that scene on YouTube. Now, it, apparently it wasn't on the theatrical version. It was a deleted scene that was put oh, on the right. VHS by accident. Oh, so I, the versions that are on DVD and streaming are technically the faithful to the theatrical. Yeah, version. but honestly, it's... And I think, here's a question, is this film a musical? I mean, I would say no, because um, my friend Zowie is massively into musicals. And we had a discussion a while ago about what, you know, what makes a film a musical. And she said, um, the, the songs tell the story. And I think that's massively true of something like A Nightmare Before Christmas. The, the dialogue in that film is notoriously bad because there's nothing, it serves no purpose because it was based on a poem by Tim Burton and Danny Elfman wrote songs which told the story of the poem. Uh, and if it wasn't for Sally's story, there would be no story in between. But obviously with this, the story's already there. Um, you know, as much as the film would not be as magical, you could take out the songs and the story would survive. So I don't think in the truest sense, this is a musical. However, the one scene that that doesn't apply to is the breakup scene, because without the song, there isn't much in the dialogue and the song captures so much of oh, what Bell says to Scrooge in the novel. Um, and I'm not gonna say go as far as to say it's my favorite song because you know, it feels like Christmas. Um, <laughs> but I think objectively it is the best song in it as well. It's, it's a, and there's a bit where towards the end of the song, Michael Caine, who obviously, you know, Belle can't see the older Scrooge, but he goes and sit ne sits next to her and starts singing along. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And it reminds me, we should have a drinking game where people have to drink, although it's book at breakfast, so maybe a shot of tea, but uh, <laughs> a shot of tea every time we mention Doctor Who. Um, but there's in the last episode of Peter Capaldi's final series, The Doctor Falls, yeah. There's a scene where there are two iterations of the master. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Doctor Who, the master's the villain. And there's a there's a, a version of the current master and the master from the past. And the doctor's sort of ranting at them. And it's really interesting uh, that one of them responds and the other doesn't. And Stephen Moffat, who wrote it, explained it as Missy, because this is the second time she's experienced this, is hearing it for the second time. And so she's rethinking it and the words finally sink in. This and is thought, the latest version of the master for anyone that doesn't know. And I thought of that when I 
most recently watched the song about how the young Scrooge is completely unmoved by it. Oh, God, she's prattling on about her feelings. Whereas old Scrooge, who knows what he's lost now, now that he is old and alone and childless and, and, and loveless, he sees he listens to her this time round mm-hmm. the way he didn't when he was an arrogant young man. See, she just says, I, I love you. She says, you did once. Then she walks away. And and we don't get to hear why she's broken up with him because it's all contained in the song. Also, that's, um, a, very, that's a very 90s edit as well, kissing out very, the yeah. perspective. On the honestly, situation. watching Michael Caine, it explains why he's suddenly crying now. You could just say, oh, it's sad because he's girlfriend from when he was younger broke up with him but when you see the sorrow and the regret in his face when he's singing it was almost love it was almost always it was like a fairy tale would live out you and me what a lyric and again sort of talking about paul williams who wrote those lyrics and obviously the personal regrets he had i wonder if he was drawing on actual personal experience there um yeah so it's funny like as you get older i really think that that deleted scene that song is one of the best moments of the film. Um, and also they reprise it at the end because her song to Scrooge is When Love Is Gone. And then at the end, they sing The Love We Found to the same tune, which doesn't make as much sense when you haven't heard no, the initial really. song that it's a reprise of. I'm going to have to go and uh, watch that song after this because it's probably... It will be many years since I've seen it and I don't remember it too well. You'll love I think it. You'll absolutely love it. The last time I think of Missy was when we went to see it at the Regent a few years ago, uh, a oh. cinema in Blackpool. I imagine and that I, would have been the theatrical version. I think it would Best have scene been. in the film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, sorrow instantly dispelled. Uh, <laughs> now, this is very faithful to the book with the um, spirit of yeah, Christmas. The mountain of food, the abundance. Yeah. And that's what the, you know, the spirit of Christmas is. And he, again, he shrinks down to, the, to fit the size of the room. Yes. And even though he's a big Muppet, he's the most Muppet looking of all the spirits. He's exactly as described in the book. He is the Yule father. Yes. But I tell you what isn't in the book, uh, as far as I remember, uh, there's the thing, aren't you a little absent-minded spirit? No, I'm a large absent-minded spirit. <laughs> but, uh, there we go. But that idea that he's forgetful. Uh, uh, yeah. Did I already tell you that? Uh, you did. Yeah, he's at there when Scrooge says, This is Bob Cratchit's house. Uh, how do you know that? <laughs> you just told me. And at first, well, I never really thought about it. I thought that was just a peculiar little thing they put in for to make it funny. But then after our conversation about the book, and and that idea of of savoring the moment and you know living in the now, I thought, oh, actually, is it because he's the ghost of Christmas present that he's got a bad <laughs> memory because he, he doesn't dwell on the past? He is permanently in the present. Permanently, yeah, in the very moment. Buddhist. Very Buddhist. <laughs> That's quite a neat little angle about the memory. Is that unique to the Muppets version? I think it is. Oh, there we go. That's why it's definitive. It, absolutely. <laughs> I noticed um, in the school scene, they've uh, omitted the sister in this one. Um, if you remember. Oh, the yeah. Little when, fan. Uh, I mean, she, she must exist because he's got a, a nephew. But yeah. no, hang on. No, no, she was in it. Was no, she? 
No, sorry, I was thinking about the, come on, Ebenezer, the coach is leaving, but that's just some random girl, isn't it? That's, isn't, I suppose it could be her. In my yeah. head, that was always his sister, but yeah. of course his sister didn't go to that school in the book. Yeah. Anyway, she comes to get him. This song, this song, <laughs> it's just brilliant. I'm on the fence about whether this is a musical or not, and um, I'm... I'm I don't really like definitions for whether something's a musical or not. If it's a musical in my heart, it's a musical. Mm, well, actually, now, yeah, now I'm thinking about it. What I was saying about the breakup, so much mm. of what the Ghost of Christmas Present um, teaches Scrooge on the pe- is in this song, actually. And even yeah. this is the moment, isn't it? Look at look how stony faced he is here. And then in a minute, he's dancing. <laughs> and I love his, his rubbish dad dancing, but I love how hesitant he is at first. And, he, and that's all Michael Caine. He didn't just sort of burst into song. He he sort of tentatively starts dancing. And oh, there he is. Jesus oh. for the Mises. See, he's still well, stony face there. He's not moved yet. Scrooge's icy exterior has begun to crack. Oh, there we go. His, that's his first smile in the <laughs> film. I never know. Well, in, apart well, from an evil smile. He makes that line as well uh, when the spirit says that 1,800 of his brothers have come before him and he says it must be a hell of a grocery bill. Yes. You could see little chinks in his armour before this moment. He's cracking jokes. And he does smile there. There's an odd moment in the book where he asks when he he first sees the ghost of uh, (laughs) Jacob and Robert Marley, (laughs) Jacob Marley, he says, can you sit down? Because he's a goat, yes. and uh, and and there's a line about how he thought he'd better check because he didn't want to offend him, and you think that's an oddly nice thing yes, for Scrooge to do. Yeah. And you think you know there's always the colonel there that he is sort of basically decent deep down. There he goes, he's dancing. <laughs> and honestly, Michael Caine's little his little trill here, this dance makes the next scene all the more uh, heartbreaking when mm. his nephew. Uh, is making fun of him. Yes, it does. He's almost ready to join in. Oh, he says, I had no I idea. Actually, revisiting the book for the book podcast, how the nephew is kinder in the book. It's his, I'm not sure if she's his wife or his partner that's being harsher to him in the rest of the room, but the nephew, apart from doing the riddle about him, which even that isn't particularly unkind. He generally no. always defends him. And uh, his he nephew's does. got a very pure heart. Whereas in the films, most adaptations I've seen, the nephew is uh, crueler towards Scrooge. You know, so it, uh, it started snowing at that exact moment. <laughs> because I know there's snow earlier, but I, don't, I think it was snow on the ground, but it wasn't snowing. And of oh. course, in when we see... Christmas yet to come. It's it's dismal and dreary, and it's almost like this is Christmas present, but it's still Scro- Scrooge is still in the future here. Yeah, he's still in bed. So it's still an idea of Christmas, and that idea that it only snows in our hearts at Christmas, <laughs> or not only, but it always snows in our hearts at Christmas because <laughs> our idea of Christmas is a snowy one, is a white Christmas, and we got that from Dickens. So I love that little detail that it, it starts snowing at that exact moment. <laughs> when, you know, when he's come round to the idea of Christmas and he wants to learn more about it. If you think back to your childhood Christmases, do you always picture snow in your mental photographs? Not always, but someone the other day was saying, oh, it never snowed round here. Uh, and I, thought, I, I remember it snowing at Christmas, yes. not every year, but... And then here's a funny thing. I distinctly remember one year because I got some, uh, it wasn't Mickey Mouse, but it was like a, a 
cartoon. I think Mickey Mouse was in it. There was a load of mice and they were a family. Kind of like DuckTales was to Donald Duck. It was like okay, yeah. Mouse Tales, which kind of makes more sense. But anyway, um, <laughs> I can't remember what it was. But I got slippers that were shaped like little cars. And in the windows of the car, you could see the mice characters from whatever cartoon it was. And it's the slippers like flashed. Slippers. Oh, they were they were great. And they had little little lights in them that flashed when you hit when you touch the floor wow and yeah because i got those for christmas one year you know what it was probably 1993 come to think of it and um and so i remember distinctly running out into the garden watching my slippers flash because it was still dark because it was really early and it was snowing and i know that for a fact i can tell you yes i remember that but then it occurred to me that i can also tell you for a fact that father christmas came and brought me presents that year oh so who knows (laughs) <laughs> well i once saw father christmas um me and my sister were looking out of the window one christmas eve specifically watching for father christmas and i would swear to this day and my sister would probably not swear or doesn't remember it or chooses not to remember it but i swear that i saw a red sleigh flying through the sky propelled by reindeers so wow yeah conclusive I, I, it is conclusive in the minds of their uh, a seven-year-old was it snowing uh no i don't think it was actually at the time but i do distinctly remember seeing something that looked too much like a sleigh drawn by reindeers to be an aeroplane mm-hmm. although we did also live near the british aerospace base so make of that what you will <laughs> <laughs> dancing on the turkey it's oh, nice it turkey? You know, did, did people it was, is a, turkey? It's, a, it's a goose oh I is think. it okay um <laughs> that's again they put in these little moments for the for the kids little sort of slapstick moments and it's great it works on so many levels because as we discussed like we said tiny tim is the idea is silly enough in the book that it shouldn't destroy you the way it does and it's even sillier in the film because he's just a tiny sock puppet um but it's devastating this little song coming up absolutely devastating and i know that tiny tim is is an exaggeration of a character but i think you know he represents the the poor working classes yeah you know that he's kind of crippled but oh i sound I sound a bit a bit sixth form, don't I? I should probably stop with this analogy. But that idea that you know, if you are, if you're poor and ill, there's nothing can be done in this society. You mean to say that his literal and social mobility have been taken away from him? Yes. <laughs> I was surprised going back to the book that I don't think Bob Cratchit is mentioned until this scene in the book. He's just the clerk in um, the first stave i was surprised when i reread the very beginning when that when the nephew comes to call that he refers to him as the clerk mm. but i'm sure yeah because there's another one my clerk with you know 15 bubble whatever it is yeah dreaming of a merry christmas <laughs> i can't remember when he's first but that's that if that's I... true if that's right that's interesting that because Scrooge doesn't see him as a person until well, until yes. this moment. Uh, I was going to say a man, but of course he's not a man; he's a frog. But he doesn't see him, you know. I was just thinking that um, Dickens, because he was writing it in staves and publishing it uh, serialized, 
I think. I didn't know this one was ser- serialized. Oh, I might be wrong. Actually, I assumed it was serialized. We shall uh, look up at the, look at that up. Um, but I was assuming he just hadn't thought of the character. But you—that's a good analogy, actually. That maybe he didn't recognise him as a person until this point, and only then does he get the, given his name. Hang on a minute. I've just realised that I'm wrong when I said this wasn't a musical because, as you so wisely pointed out. The book is not in sections, it's in staves. Yes. And it's called A Christmas Carol. So the source material is a song. Oh, well, yes. Oh, true. Yeah, it is A Christmas Carol. Yes, so I, I retract that. It's a musical. <laughs> and it always has been a musical. <laughs> this bit's lovely. It's absolutely lovely that Bob proposes a toast to Scrooge. Even yes, it is. The ultimate personification of goodness. Mm-hmm. If we can toast our enemies and show compassion to them, we would all be saved. So we should all be more like Bob Cratchit. It's horrible in the... Um, it's not in this... It's not in many of the films, actually, but in, in the book, uh, when Scrooge you know, sees the, the man covered in the shroud and people are arguing over his bedsheets and whatnot, uh, and he says, show me some joy, and you think that the spirit's going to take him well not exactly but some 10 you know everyone's so indifferent to this person's death and scrooge wants to see somebody who's affected by it and you think he's going to take him to bob cratchit's because even bob could see Mm -hmm. um the best in scrooge but they don't they take him to a family who are are in debt to scrooge and marley and he said the the only emotion he could find at this man's death was joy and it's such a it's such a piercing moment oh look at michael kane's face here he's so affected and it's that idea of realizing i could help it's the, yeah. well, it's the double way I, I could help this family but also they're happy and you know the description in the book of you know the ridiculous description of the pudding and and the joy and here how happy they're singing together on christmas day it's so wonderful and he sort of doesn't understand it but they've, they've got no money how can they be happy and that's, yes. this is it this is the turning point for scrooge when he, he realizes it's almost like the grinch you know that idea you know perhaps christmas isn't something that can be bought in a store perhaps christmas <laughs> means something a little bit more i might have got that wrong i don't know the grinch very well but it's that that idea of that moment that the the character realizes that there's something missing in their life. It's interesting. I'm just reading the Hogfather at the moment, the uh, Terry oh. book, and I love that scene of um, death as Father Christmas in the department store, <laughs> and the store manager's going crazy because he's just giving all this stuff away yes. so people aren't buying his toys. Oh, and I wonder if that was a kind of uh, Pratchett having a two fingers to capitalism. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. I probably shouldn't talk too much about that because maybe that will be discussed quite uh, possibly on this podcast at some point. I feel it should be. I wonder what the ghost of Christmas yet to come would say about the Hogfather on a book of breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like I gave it you in the hope that you'd read it and want to cover it at some point (laughs) in the future. (laughs) Oh my of course, God. I'd never be that cynical. The, the decision I thought I'd arrived that independently was actually <laughs> for set. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh, the little quiver in his voice. I know. It seems sacrilege to talk over it. And again, like just taking the famous line, God bless us, everyone, and turning it into a song. Yes. Oh, God. Crutch without an owner. Uh, a vacant seat by the chimney breast. It's too much. Yeah. And I love, I, I know he's getting older, which is why he's, his hair's turning white, but also he's becoming Father Christmas. Yeah. And he leaves with a ho, ho, ho in a twinkle <laughs> of fairy lights. Oh, that line about decreasing the surplus population. Does Scrooge say that in this one? Yes. Uh, at the start, because right I know that start. he says it at the start of the book and then he quotes yeah. it back to him. And it sounds so horrible and cold when he quotes it back. You kind of... Yeah. And you know that he realises that. You feel the impact of his own yeah. words. Hit him. How could I have said that? Yeah. Oh, and this bit. I do. <laughs> My time upon this globe is very brief. And what I love about this scene coming up, and I think it was quite brave in a way, because they make the, gro- the ghost of Christmas yet to come so scary that they that um, Gonzo and Rizzo run away. Uh, yes. And they're... It's easy to forget, but for kids, their their introduction to this, they're then you know they're bringing them into this world and telling them this story and yeah. telling them everything's going to be okay. The fact that they run away, <laughs> it makes it that bit bleaker. And some of the, the scenes where it's just Scrooge and the Ghost of Christmas yet to come, it could be from any adaptation. You know, when you can't see any any Muppets in it. Yeah. Look at that twinkle, the fairy light twinkle. Is ho 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 here. <laughs> Go forth and know him better, man. Oh, it's so sad when he goes. It's like it's like taking down your Christmas decorations. Oh, Christmas is gone, and you just you're left with the uh, the the hooded spectre pointing <laughs> inexorably towards your own inevitable death. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, fellow passengers to the grave. <laughs> And the score here as well. It's very interesting that they chose to have no songs in this bit. Mm-hmm. Just ominous music. It... This bit scared the hell out of me at the time. This is this is pure Tim Burton. Even look at those railings yes, behind I'm it. I'm just thinking about the gates there and oh this oh, look at it. spirit is terrifying. The fact that it's faceless and unknowable as death yeah. is. And I love uh, I love this creature is technically a muppet (laughs) and it's so odd looking like it's not even human shaped like its arms are too long yeah yeah and see the cute kids characters have gone i wonder i wonder if kids find it scary like not having them providing you know the physical physical comedy and and the laughs and the i certainly did i don't know if you were easily spooked as a kid because i know you probably watched more horror or pseudo horror stuff yeah probably more pseudo horror at that age but i loved anything scary it was just couldn't get enough of it i thought this was terrifying at the time oh i think that's still a really good effect to this day oh and again it's so dreary hang on when they when they materialize here and there's just like sludge and rain 
old Joe. Tom Baker does a brilliant voice for. Oh, no, sorry, we're not we're not with the, with the businessmen first. I wondered if this was an Orwell reference that the businessmen are pigs. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Oh. <laughs> I love that. I might go into the funeral if lunch is provided. <laughs> It's funny, like you were saying about the book, and exactly the same here, where Scrooge says in a minute, I, I know some of those gentlemen's spirit. Of what poor, of what poor soul do they speak? He's like, come on, you know, you know. But he can't, he can't bring himself idiot. to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Who is this E. Scrooge they talk of? The poor wretch. Of what poor wretch do they speak? Oh. Oh, the spirit looks kind of statuesque as well. It's, it's robes it like they're made of stone. Yeah, it's almost sort of it's weeping so, angel-esque, isn't it? it? Yes, it is, yeah. For 1993, it's very impressive. Really good. I can't work out what it is, if it's a, you know, what it's made of or if it's yeah. CG in any way. Oh, yeah, old Joe was saying Tom Baker does a great uh, voice for old Joe in the <laughs> audiobook. Come into the parlour. <laughs> <laughs> That thing is horrible. Marvelous. What is it? It looks like how I imagined the Jabberwocky when <laughs> I was younger. I don't know what it's supposed to be. Is it a penguin is, or something? Is the female one? Does she have a satsuma for a face? It looks like um, orange isn't she, skin. Isn't she a bug of some kind? I think there's a close-up on her again. That one there, you mean? The one in the middle. Oh, God. Or is she? No, she's a frog, isn't she? Oh, okay. Or a toad, a toad maybe. <clears throat> I probably just have clementines on the brain because it's Christmas and I've eaten so many of them. You gave everyone a clementine for Christmas. I did, yes. Continued doing that for Melanie's family. Her sister said they were the best clementines they've ever eaten. Yeah. Um, my mum gave me a clementine from uh. Leap. Uh, and there were about five pips in every segment. It was awful. Uh, oh, no. OK. I thought if you gave Truly. some clementine at Christmas, it had to be the best tasting clementine you'd ever eaten. Even no better one... than last year's best tasting clementines. No one told diddle the dee. I felt uh, like I was in some chilling prophecy of a, of a Christmas yet to come in which I'd <laughs> been bad. <laughs> I hate this. It's so quiet. Why is it so quiet? I hate that line. I, mean, I don't hate it. I love I love the film, but it. Whenever I drive past the street where my nan and granddad used to live, who are no longer alive, every time I hear that line in my head, why is it so oh. cool? Because it's normally a place of, it's a, you think of it as a place of joy and laughter, and how, how could it be empty? Did you Isn't watch it? this film with them? I don't think I did, no. But they loved Christmas. Oh. I don't think I watched this with my nan. Um... Well, to them, it would have been sort of modern rubbish, wouldn't it? You yeah. Know, a sort of a, taw a sort of bawdy, tawdry interpretation of a classic novel. Maybe not. I think she probably would have found it a bit weird. Mm. <laughs> Who'd have thought that Kermit the Frog could give an Oscar-winning performance? <laughs> Didn't win an Oscar, but he should have done. Did this film not win any major awards? Did Michael Caine not? I've no idea. Hmm. 
I'm always surprised when I when I read about things that I love and I assume everybody loves. Like recently, I was reading about the Princess Bride. That was a bit of a flop when it came out. Yes. These things just, and I, I guess it it's that, that back to what we were talking about at the very beginning about not talking down to people and creating something that is timeless and classic and um it might not have the initial draw if it's a weird if it's a bit weird or a hard sell in some respects you know you can imagine some people saying oh this is too much for children it's it's scary and it's serious in places and it you know what i mean in spite of the songs I don't know. Maybe this was a huge success when it came. I, I would imagine it was, but I'm I always it was, surprised. It was certainly a success at the time that it hit VHS because I think everyone yeah. had it. No, I think this was, but Hocus Pocus was not a success. That was, was a, a slow burner. And even was Nightmare Before Christmas, I, I watched a documentary about that on Netflix recently, and I think it did well, but oh. I think it was like weird kids <laughs> like us who grew up in the 90s watching that sort of thing. It didn't necessarily do brilliantly at the box office, but then as really? we grew up loving these things, people realised that, oh, five years later, there's still a market for it. Ten years later, 20 years later, let's make loads of money on merch because all these 90s kids love these things they grew up with. Nightmare Before Christmas really hit for me when my dad got Sky, which was probably a year after it had come out, and they were showing it as a new film. But oh wow, they used to show the same film every night, and me and my sister would ask to watch the Nightmare Before Christmas every single night. We were oh, at my dad's. Wow. But I don't remember if I went to see it at the cinema or not. Again, uh, Odeon. Oh, sorry, Preston UCI. I remember, I could even tell you what screen I was in, because I remember <laughs> seeing with Jack singing on the hill and just being blown away. I Visually, I'd never seen anything like it before. I it's, couldn't believe yeah. that it was all animation. Oh, this scene. As I say, you know, there's no, no songs, there are no Muppets. You could show somebody this and they would, you know, and, and not tell them it was a, like a, a kid's film with, with puppets mm -hmm. and you say this is the, the best adaptation of a Christmas Carol ever made and they'd watch this and say yes yes you are correct and they wouldn't it wouldn't occur yeah, to them it's a kid's film or a, not that, that that diminishes it in any way as I said it makes it better because it gives it a purity and a magic but just like this is just pure sort of atmosphere and Michael Caine just the way he points to the wrong grave like no of course he's not pointing to that one you idiot he just can't bear it he can't face uh, and it's kind of desperation and pleading and bargaining here uh, and, I, and i don't think it is like sorrow that he's dead you know because everybody dies he's not suddenly going to wake up and be immortal it's sorrow that he's dead <laughs> and nobody cares yeah it's sorrow that tiny tim's dead because he didn't help but yes it's not a selfish sorrow not it's at all He's not, you know, you say there's a bargaining, the pleading. He's not saying, please let me live. He's saying, why would you show me this if I was past yes. all hope? You can no, feel this desperation at this yeah. point. tangible. And you don't know whether he knows that he can change. He's no. desperate for it, but maybe he thinks that this is his fate and it's locked. Nobody said to him, you have the chance to change this. No. Only he could do that. And it's only belief that kind of carries him to change. Yeah. Nobody sort of spells it out for him. This is a line, I think, because nothing Scrooge... Oh, no, it's, sorry, it was earlier. Earlier. Nothing Scrooge could say or do could stop the march of those terrible bells. I don't think that's in the oh. book, but it's just a brilliant and the best moment <laughs> in, 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 in any adaptation. And in the book, just, you know, the room was his own, the bed was his own. It just, it gets me every time. 
I love the way where he looks at himself in the mirror. Like, I'm here, and then <laughs> he's he's oh, for a split second he's going to do something about his his hair or his appearance, and he just goes ah, <laughs> sod it, who cares? Which again, it, it's that thing in the book about uh, where he's dancing while he's shaving. And like, well, so what if he cut his nose off? <laughs> a sticking plaster on it. He doesn't care what he looks like, and you 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 can't put that in in an adaptation. But they show it beautifully with that moment where he looks at himself in the mirror, like, who cares what I look like? I need to get out there and make amends. They're not torn down. Oh. Another scene. There we go. If you showed this that. in isolation, oh. it would, yes, <laughs> like a kid's film. No. But I wonder, going back to the graveyard scene, if you just showed that snippet, that three minutes to a parent to the child, would they show their child this film? <laughs> they say no way. Because it's terrifying it's and it's full of existential dread. <laughs> yeah. But this bit's not. <laughs> There's a nice little, because in the book he, he says, the turkey, the one that's as big as me. But of course we've got this tiny rabbit puppet. <laughs> the one that's twice as big as me. <laughs> it's Christmas Day. That's wonderful as well. Like all Scrooge's joy earlier, he doesn't even know that it's Christmas. He's yes. not happy because it's Christmas Day. He's just oh. happy because he's alive. <laughs> I'll look again, and it's snowing now because this is the the oh. perfect Christmas, the idealized Christmas. <laughs> I love the way the snow falls down when he um, gesticulates. Oh. <laughs> I, I always thought that was an odd because they put shillings in, but it's half a crown in the book. And you think, yes, it's... Oh, oh, we'll modernise it to make it something children understand. <laughs> I know, shillings. <laughs> <laughs> Never quite understood that. Did you know what a when shilling it... was when you first saw this? don't know what a shilling is now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what kind of denomination of... Uh what the value of it is but no i think well, yeah, I, yeah, I know it's old money <laughs> i have no idea what it's worth i remember my nan telling me about old money denominations when we were walking around sainsbury's once and i think that might have been before this so oh sorry we might have to uh, bleep that bit whilst we were walking around uh, oh, a well-known supermarket chain hang on look this bit here i only he whispers through one of them's ears, but the other one hears it. Like he's whispering <laughs> straight through his head. <laughs> I love that. I don't know what this beaker is. The the one with the oh yes. The, I don't know what the the weird guy with no eyes is called. Sorry, Muppet <laughs> fan. Oh, this is lovely. It gives him the the scarf. Oh, a gift. <laughs> so lovely. I think in this scene that's coming up where Michael Caine, you know, he's the star and it's a musical, but this is the, apart from when he joins in with Belle on the deleted scene, this is the first time he sings. Oh. And I feel really sorry for the human actors in this scene coming up because like the Muppets are there, they look great. Michael Caine is acting his heart out and the other human actors are told to, you just sort of stand there <laughs> and they don't really know what to do. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> again you know this song really gets me i've always loved it because of it's a great song and the, the words are great and michael Caine just acts it so brilliantly but you know in the context of paul williams recovery and it, this song being about his new life it just you know it really really gets me yeah <laughs> <laughs> I 
and a promise to share the wealth. There you go. It's a political, <laughs> even a political story, even now in the Muppet version. It's Marxism in action. Well, it is. I guess Marxism oh. didn't exist as a concept when Dickens wrote the original. No, Marxism was Dickensianism. <laughs> Dick- Dickensism in action. Oh, the coal for the bookkeepers. Philanthropy, I guess it was. Yes. You simply count his friends. I love that because he's saying that now and he doesn't have any friends. But I yeah. think he's already in his heart counting the bookkeepers as his friends. He knows he's going to be, look, look at these people here, sort of not really knowing what to do with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the woman on the left. Yes, she looks manic. Yeah. <laughs> the fifth take, the 15th take. How precious life can be. Don't let it slip away. That Again, like, you know, it's. Just that idea that they felt that they had to make <laughs> something worthy of Jim Henson's legacy. And so much soul went into this and so much love. I, you know, they, and they just knocked it out of the park. It's just it's perfect. It's a perfect film. Statler and I think, uh, The fact that it's a tribute to Jim Henson makes it better than it would have been had he been alive somehow because there's that sort of desperate need to do him justice and yeah. so they're not doing just doing justice to the text they're doing justice to the creator of the muppets as well and that makes yeah. it henson times dickens equals much more than the sum of its parts yes oh here we go cheeses for the mises <laughs> oh it's not quite yet next one next one. Oh. <laughs> 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 but yeah it's like we were saying earlier you can't just make an adaptation of something you have to have an angle you know you have to have a personal investment and tell it tell your version of the story and and be true to the the original it's so hard to get right which is why so many book to film adaptations are terrible like time traveler's wife <laughs> But this is this is a masterclass in getting it right. Even though this scene is sort of in the book, but it's done very differently here. And I like how they give um, Miss Miss Piggy her um, <laughs> little moment rather than just being sort of the passive non-character. Um, although I must say, we've seen in the Ghost of Christmas Presents vision how happy the Cratchits are just being together and spending Christmas. And I know Scrooge is going to give them loads of money and that's great. But do you think they actually wanted him to turn up at their house with a load of random strangers? <laughs> I'd be furious. <laughs> I like, I like the, um, the sen- you know, the sentiment of it though. They bring them all this stuff. Because of course in the book, he has dinner with his, his nephew. Yes. So I was very glad to see that Fred is actually sat at the table with them at the end. So they're, <laughs> they're all together. But you know, you think you would have, you might have asked the Cratchit if it was okay if they all. Uh... <laughs> He's being a little bit over charitable again. Yeah, I'm thinking that's, of uh, that's just aggressive generosity. The Hogfather. <laughs> it says yeah. uh, charity is giving people what they need, not what you think they want. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Scrooge well, is still yeah. learning here. You know, he's new to this <laughs> philanthropy, so. Maybe he is giving them what he thinks they want instead, but he'll oh, get there. We know he'll it's get a, there. It's a film and it's a kid's film and it needs that big party ending. Yeah. Tiny Tim, who did not die. <laughs> um, I always get sad 
when we leave and it pans up and away and it's it's over. Yeah. Um, like a lot of kids' films, it seems very short as well. It's interesting because, of course, famously, Tiny Tim gets the last line in the book, God bless us, everyone. Here, we have to we have to give it to Michael Caine because A, yeah. he's the star, B, he's a human. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. Oh. But here, you see, they sing The Love We Found, which is wonderful. Uh, it's so much more poignant if, you, if you've heard love was gone but now Aww. love is found oh, there's fred i don't know where his wife is so. i guess i'm just gonna say that <laughs> she wasn't invited because she was mean about him <laughs> in a in a vision of the future that has now unhappened but i love it the love we found we we carry with us so we're never quite alone and again it reminds me of of time traveler's wife with the the, the idea that henry's love has more density in the world than he does. And when I'm gone, my love could surround you and anchor you. And that's why Scrooge is wretched, because he doesn't have that. Yeah. Oh, I'm all back to the houses. Uh, I love that. (laughs) If you like this, you should read the book. (laughs) With the breakfast. And this, uh, and then we get, it feels like Christmas again here, but the whole cast singing along, perfect. Yeah. But again, as the credits roll, we then get When Love Is Gone. (laughs) Except it's not the version that Belle sings. It's a kind (laughs) of pop pop version of it. It's very, it's the only moment on the soundtrack that I think is very Disney. Yeah. And it's a very odd, especially having not had it in the film, (laughs) you could easily think, what's this all about? (laughs) Uh, And also, having gone from this you know the love we found and wherever you f- find love it feels like christmas such a wonderful happy upbeat thing to end it on we then get a sad breakup song yes penance for anyone it's like who's a nerdy choice, it. but i guess it's classic disney because every song they have to do a pop version of one yes. of the main songs from it and release it as a single i don't remember this being a big hit though it's not like um celine dion in beauty and the beast or elton john in the lion king I've forgotten that Elton John was in the Lion I mean, You know, I've only seen The Lion King once. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. That's it. We've got to go. It's over. Mm. I've run out of breakfast. You know, I like these uh, Christmas commentaries. I like them so much. I think we should do them twice a year. 